Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Okay, across the world on the internet at MichaelDukeshow.com, where you'll find links to the audio-only stream, to the uh, podcasts on CastBox, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify, and of course, links to our social media sites where we simulcast the radio show every day, and also broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station, and or FM translator good morning and welcome to the program uh it is uh hump day middle of the week wednesday ready to jump into it and do stuff and things stuff and things uh we got a full plate of stories to cover here in hour one of the big radio broadcast this morning and we're going to dive into that and start talking about uh, those things here in just a hot minute then we're going to uh, then we're going to uh, be joined by State Senator Mike Shower, who's going to be with us to talk about well that last week of the session, the last final seven days of the regular session. We'll we'll see we'll see what that looks like. What exactly what exactly does it mean? What exactly is coming down on this and some of the bills that we've had a chance to uh, hear more about here uh, in the last couple of days. Some bills that have absolutely nothing to do with, uh, I mean, maybe tertiary because they cost money, but have nothing to do with the budget per se. And uh, we're going to talk about some of those bills with him as well in hour two. Coming up tomorrow on the program, I want to give just a brief um, a heads up that tomorrow on the program in the seven o'clock hour, we are scheduled to be talking with <clears throat> Andrew Jensen from the governor's office, who's going to come on board and talk with us about the governor's uh, report that he commissioned. He's got a food security commission, like a food sustainability and security commission that he put together, and they. Um, um, and they put they they gathered a report. They had a report commissioned by several different organizations and the University of Alaska, and that report came out in late February. And we've had a lot of requests here on the program from uh, listeners and folks in the chat room and and uh, emails about talking more about food security uh, and how do we. How do we improve it here in the state of Alaska? Now, fiscally and financially, that's always been a really tough deal because, hey, hey, let's face it, it's uh, hard to justify, uh, you know, growing things and doing things here in Alaska when it's much, much cheaper in many instances to have it shipped up from the lower 48 and for us to consume it that way. Uh, But that does create some problems, mainly where we as a state 
could not sustain our own population with our own uh, with our own agriculture, produce production, and manufacturing. And uh, so there's been some concern about that over the last few years. You've heard the word food security and uh, the phrase food security and food sustainability thrown around a lot. And so we want to talk a little bit about um, what this study found and how Alaskans can, you know, help, uh, you know, create more food uh, stability and food uh, security and, you know, just kind of demystify it a little bit and find out what it means and stuff like that. So I'm hoping uh, it's not a very long interview, unfortunately. Uh, I'd really like to dive down into the subject. But boy, it's um, it was kind of hard to get um, it was kind of hard to uh, to get somebody to come on and really want to talk about it. I reached out to a couple of the different organizations that helped contribute to the report, and I kept getting pointed back to the state, to the uh, commissioner uh, that uh, that the uh, that the task force is um, you know nestled under. And that eventually led me back over and they directed me back to Jensen, who <clears throat> works in the governor's office. And uh, he's only going to be able to be with us for about 20 minutes, which, um, again, is unfortunate because, I, I mean, I want to do a deep dive on this. And uh, so it's hard. Uh, it's hard to uh, hard to get all the details on it. But we'll see what we can do tomorrow. I mean, it's a 160 page report. I have a feeling we're not going to get through the whole thing in 20 minutes. Right. I just that's it's unfortunate, but we'll, it'll be maybe it'll be the first in a maybe a series of in a series of uh, of interviews that we can do about this. But I think that security, uh, uh, sustainability for food, you know, self-reliance, I think those are important topics, um, um, you know, that are important topics that we need to really deal with. Uh, and I'm not naive enough to think that, you know, somehow, some way, if we all just came together and kumbaya and hold hands, that we're going to be able to create something that is economically, in the long term, you know, feasible for everything to be made here in Alaska. That's just that makes no sense because we don't have enough people here to make that work, um, you know, and especially in this day and age of reasonably cheap energy and transport and everything else, it's going to be, it's going to be easier and, uh, it's always going to be easier to ship things in, uh, or at least more affordable for the short term, but we at least have to have some kind of plans, maybe some kind of infrastructure that can be built on a small scale that has the ability to be scaled up if, and when, I guess I should say when in many instances it would need to be scaled up because, you know, we we have an interruption in our supply chain or or anything else. Anyway, it should be an interesting discussion. And um, it's uh, it 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 the report itself is uh, pretty meaty and it's got some good uh, information in it. But I want to kind of get the full rundown on it um, and we'll. We'll talk about that uh, tomorrow at in the seven o'clock hour. So that's my that's my little uh, pre pitch for what's happening tomorrow. Um, State Senator Mike Shower will be joining us. Um, uh, State Senator Mike Shower will be joining us in hour two today uh, to discuss that final seven days of the session. And I guess that's about it for to uh, for you know, kind of a rundown of what's happening in today. 
So, uh, interesting stuff. Let's um, let's dive into some of the headlines, though, um, <clears throat> and start talking about what's going on in some of the bills that we're seeing in uh, a variety of uh, in a variety of areas. First and foremost, it was interesting to watch um, uh, the discussion around something that generally speaking is um, pretty easy going. I mean, there's always some contention and we've seen several times when it's become kind of a a dog and pony show in a circus for, you know, um, for, uh, uh, you know, competing ideas or differing philosophies where people are kind of sniping at each other. And that is during the confirmation hearings for the governor's nominees and picks for his cabinet level um, uh, positions around the state, for his appointees, for all the things that he is uh, able to appoint. And it's interesting to watch uh, some of this stuff because for the most part, things just kind of, you know, go along. They just kind of, you know, they, it happens. But if there's one, somebody that gets under somebody's skin it obviously becomes an issue. Uh, you'll remember that that happened back when uh, Ivy Sponholtz was a uh, uh, was in the uh, legislature, and she <clears throat> made up this. Well, she didn't make up. She she alleged this crazy story um, about that during the confirmation of Carl Johnston to the Board of Fish back in 2019. And she accused him of sexually harassing somebody, basically saying she heard it from a friend of a friend or a third-hand story that was, you know, she's not disclosing the thing and all this other kind of stuff. She used this attack um, who on a man who was a, an Alaska judge, not that that makes him beyond reproach by any means, I'm not saying that, but basically there was just, it was this kind of this ad hominem attack that... Uh, you know, that he couldn't refute because she didn't basically lay out any facts or figures or anything else. So that was kind of the dog and circus show here a few years ago. Well, this time around, it is uh, the, the, the victim of the character assassination is Bethany Markham, who is a former director of the uh, uh, Alaska uh, Policy Forum. Um, which is, uh, you know, we we deal a lot with the policy forum. Bethany's been on the program before and everything else. But, um, man, did they try to riddle her full of bullets. Uh, not not literal, but proverbial bullets uh, all over the place. Um, she was the lone pick this year that did not get nominated. She was up for a seat on the University of Alaska's Governing Board of Regents. And uh, she needed 31 votes from the 60-member legislature they met in joint session. But she only received 29 votes. James Brooks writes about this over at the uh, Alaska Beacon. And um, Suzanne Downing has kind of a counterpoint over at Must Read if you want to read about this. But it's kind of, uh, it's kind of an interesting discussion. Now, there were 78 appointments um that uh, were reviewed and none of them received fewer than 34 votes of the 31 needed so every one of them passed um but the uh but except for Beth Bethany Markin um Elise Galvin 
who, you know, the perennial Senate or Congress candidate and now representative independent in independent. Um, uh, if you hear the air quotes there, independent uh, representative from Anchorage said legislators normally defer to the governor on appointments, um, which I think for the most part is true for the most part. Unless you see some major truck in the middle of the road that you're about to hit, you say yes, because these are the governor's choices, she said. But in Markham's case, she uh, Galvin said she received dozens of personally written letters urging her to vote no and she joined a majority voting against the pick. Um, and I think there was a two-part problem here. Um, and I'm going to get into what the two-part problem was here in just a minute because I'm up against the commercial break. And I should be paying closer attention to the clock, right? That's how I should do it, not run along and rant and go crazy and do all that stuff. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit more about this. Uh, plus, we're going to talk about Larry Persilli. I mean, didn't we just talk about him yesterday with Brad Keithley? Oh, he's he's still writing. I mean, this guy is like verbose. He's got letters going everywhere. But some of the things he says are just like, really, man? I mean, really? We'll talk a little bit about that as well. Plus, that judge that's been indicted by the grand jury... We're going to get some more details on that if we can. At least give you the details that we have. It is the Michael Luke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll return with more uh, right after this. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, Uh, we are in the break. Ready to go. Uh, where can I get a copy of the report? Uh, says, says Kelly. And then in the next one, she says, "Never mind, I don't want to read it." Uh, I'm gonna, I'll give you the link to the uh, to where the report goes. Um, like I said, though, it's 160 pages. Um, let me, uh, I gotta download it into my own. I gotta download it into my own. Uh, file here. I was looking at it in another computer. Um, and you can go over to the website. Uh, they created a website. They created a companion website to go along with this. And uh, uh, here we go. The companion website is Alaska Food Systems Allow. AlaskaFoodSystems.com. And that should take you over, and you should be able to download the um, – here it is right here, Task Force Final Report. Okay, so if you if – you, there we go. Sorry, I was trying to copy and paste. Here's a, here's a link to the report. Um, if you go there uh, on that page, one of the first hyperlinks is the Task Force Final Report, and you can look through it and uh, – 
it's got some interesting points in it. I'll just, I'll say that. Some interesting stuff, which we will go over here at a future time tomorrow. Mostly tomorrow. Um, Okay. Let me go back up here to see what's going on. It's a beautiful day here, says Scott, down in Juneau. One week left and people's wallets and property will be slightly safer. Yeah, I mean, that's... What was it Samuel Clemens that said something about, you know, you're only safe as long as the legislature's not in session? <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, no kidding, says Chris over on Twitch. There's less than a million people in the entire state. Because of economy of scale, it will almost certainly always be cheaper to import food and manufactured goods. I mean, that is the point. But at the same time, it would be nice to have some kind of small-scale manufacturing food sustainability, especially if when they build it out, they build it so that it's scalable, so in case anything ever happens, there you go. Um, there are massive greenhouses out on Point McKenzie, you know, like the dairies that are no longer there. I did not realize there were massive greenhouses out on Point McKenzie. I live on that road. I didn't realize down at the end, 15 miles away, that there was, you know, um, uh, let's see the PFD bill and the constitutional amendment are up in ways and means this evening, says Donna, Donna, if you or, uh, over Ben want to call in and talk a little bit about those bills, maybe get some people spun up to, uh, to testify, you feel free to call in this morning here. Um, well, you call my cell phone. You have my cell phone number. I'm not going to open up the phone lines quite yet because i got a lot of other things I want to talk about. But I will uh, I will connect my cell phone to uh, everything here. So just in case uh, you call in, I can at least put you on the line and know who it is. There we go. Look at that. Um, okay. Uh, Chris also said over on Twitch, anyone voting against Bethany is an idiot. She's one of the most productive people I've ever worked with. She is definitely a busy, busy beaver. She's got a lot of things on her plate, a lot of things that she's going on. Um, let's see. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning from Kasilov. Bethany is great. She is unliked because she believes in, in tying dollars to results, which would disqualify a lot of the university spend. Um, yeah. It's, uh, all right. There is a push to get rural Alaska to grow their own food, said Harold. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think it ever economically is going to pencil out that we're going to be able to feed ourselves in the current situation, but if something changes, if there's something that goes wrong or some other kind of crisis or whatever, it would be nice to have stuff that could scale up that we could take. Of course, you've got the time lag too. There's a lot of issues there. I think it's, uh, I, I think it's uh, interesting stuff. Um, all right, let's uh, continue ahead.
Okay, welcome back to the program. Thanks for uh, coming in and uh, joining us today on this hump day, this beautiful hump day. Beautiful. It's a beautiful day. Um, there's some comments in the chat room from people who have worked with Bethany Markham, uh, who was the nominee that was uh, shot down by the legislature yesterday. Um, Chris, uh, Chris over on Twitch didn't pull any punches when he said, uh, anyone voting against Bethany is an idiot. She is one of the most productive people I've ever worked with. And then Willie says, Bethany is great. She's unlike, uh, she's unliked. Because she believes in tying dollars to results, like results-driven stuff, return on investment. Uh, he said, which would disqualify a lot of the university spending. Uh, I, again, Bethany is one of the uh, uh, one of the. T- I mean, she's one of the busiest people that I've ever had to deal with uh, out there in the world. She's doing a lot of different things, but there were a couple reasons why she got attacked on this thing. Um, First and foremost, uh, some of these folks have got a long memory, and they definitely did not like the fact that um, uh, Markham was uh, uh, supporting Governor Dunleavy's plan uh, to slash the state support for the university back in 2019 during his 2019 budget. You remember that? I mean, there was 120 – it was more than that, wasn't it? It It's $160 million. It was a big cut. It was a big cut. And then the governor pulled back and rolled over and wet on himself and said, okay, well, we'll do it over three years. And then it was going to be a 70 million, 20 million, 20 million, something like that. Um, it was uh, it was even less than what he'd originally proposed. But several basically said that because she supported the governor's proposal to slash the university, that uh, that disqualifies her, which what? You, you have to have – you cannot have a kumbaya swan song for, you know – well, I mean, you can, I guess, if that is your if, – if that is your, your, your ilk and you want to do that. But it's not always good to have a whole bunch of board members who are all believing in the same thing and what – I mean, the Board of Regents is supposed to be able to be point-counterpoint, right? They're supposed to work together to make things better. And as uh, as Willie pointed out, she is definitely very much a results-driven lady. Like, show me the results of what the thing, you know, what are you doing the money? You know, show me the results. And she is very much so that kind of person. And so to me, that would make sense to have somebody like that on the Board of Regents. But, well, they didn't want that because she supported the governor's cuts at one point five years ago. So that was uh, strike one against her for many of the uh, uh, many of the of those. But before she was nominated to the Board of Regents, of course, she was a member of the most recent five person redistricting board. And uh, the Alaska Supreme Court ruled that the three members of the board, uh, including Markham, attempted. Well, but that they ruled that the whole board. It wasn't anyway. Uh, attempted to illegally gerrymander the state in favor of Republican candidates. Andrew Gray, who's starting to become one of my favorite 
quote makers in the legislature. I mean, he might be the new replacement. I haven't. I may have to go back and listen to more. Maybe get some sound bites. But he may be my new sound bite machine to replace Natasha von Imhoff uh, in the legislature. But uh, Andrew Gray says, "I do not believe we can trust somebody who went against the Alaska Constitution twice, as ruled by the Alaska Supreme Court." And um, you know, which we've talked about this in the past you know as you look at what happens with the decentennial uh you know redistricting efforts you know every 10 years they've got to redraw the boundaries and everything else and for the last five times i think maybe six even before i was born um the courts have had to intervene on every one of those times i mean essentially in the end they're really decided by the courts um, you know, in the long run, the, the board comes in and makes an attempt and then, oh, everybody hates it. You know, everybody hates it because there was something wrong or something was done wrong. And then the courts end up deciding with some kind of alternate plan or whatever. So this is not that shocking that this went on. Um, you know, there have been many times when municipalities and others have sued the redistricting board, uh, because of, you know, perceived gerrymandering or or whatever. And they almost always get tossed out and the court puts some kind of substitute in there or, or, or demands some kind of substitute. So to me, this is grandstanding on the part of Gray. Well, I can't trust someone who went against the Alaska Constitution. Well, okay, I can't trust anybody who votes to violate Alaska state statute either. And yet you're in a group of folks who decide at at, at any given time willy-nilly to throw the statute out when it doesn't appeal to them. And even, in fact, continue to violate the state constitution themselves by not refilling the constitutional budget reserve and making that a priority, even though that's constitutionally mandated, Andrew. But, you know, I mean... Nothing like, nothing like your day in the spotlight in front of the camera says, uh, I can't believe we could trust somebody who went against the Constitution. No. So, anyway, I mean, I'm poking fun a little bit at Andrew Gray here, but <clears throat> he's getting a lot of press as a freshman legislator. I, you know, uh, he may be the new quote machine. He may be the new soundbite machine. We're going to have to pull that out and see it. Um, but there was a real kind of low blow that was pulled out by Jesse Keel. Now, uh, James Brooks uh, over in the uh, uh, over at the Alaska Beacon kind of mentions this just in passing. But then, if you go over to the <laughs> Must Read Alaska, you get a little bit of a deeper read on it. So here's what they said in the Alaska Beacon. Senator Jesse Keel of Juneau, the Democrat from Juneau, said he doesn't trust Markham in part because of his experience when he was a legislative staffer. Keel said Markham testified in favor of a bill proposed by then-Senator Mike Dunleavy from Wasilla and attempted to conceal the fact that she was Dunleavy's aide. He said, if you cannot trust the people you work with, you cannot work with them. Now, the way that that reads... It's like that she was currently employed by Senator Dunleavy testifying in front of the le- – that's what it sounds like to me, right, when I first read this. Well, then you come over to the uh, – you come over to the story on Must Read, and the story's a little bit different. 
Uh, it says the dirtiest attack came when Senator Keel said Markham came into his office once as an advocate on an education issue and told him that she was just a mom who didn't know how things work around here and then tearfully beseeched him to see her point of view on education. At the time, he was taking the meeting as a legislative aide on behalf of the late Senator uh, Dennis Egan, his predecessor. He said, Keel said he later found out that she had been a legislative aide and that in his mind contradicted her statement of being a mom who didn't know how things work. He challenged her integrity. So it's interesting how this was perceived. I mean, this is perception on the floor, right? So in the on the one hand, James Brooks is talking about how it makes it sound like, oh, well, she was testifying in front of the she was testifying in front of the legislature and uh but she was one of she was one of Dunleavy's aides and said all this stuff but it turns out that that was not necessarily the case that she had been a legislative aide it's at some point and that he came now she disqualified uh what he said well she challenged what he said by saying uh, first of all, because he said, well, she came in and told him that she was just a mom who didn't know how things work around here. And she said, first of all, I've never been a mom and certainly have never told anyone that I'm a mom. <laughs> so, I mean, who knows? He said, she said kind of thing at this point. But it's definitely interesting to see how things are being spun on both sides of the uh, both sides of the issue on this, right? I mean, the must read is writing from the conservative side, and James Brooks is writing from the left of center, supposedly middle of the road journalist kind of side. But it's interesting to to see how. I mean, if you were just reading, if you just used the Alaska Beacon as your source of news in this case, you'd be like. Well, how dare she? She was working as an aide and got up and testified in front of the legislature and it just kept she was a secret aide. Right. I mean, that's kind of how the, the the whole thing is interpreted here. Uh, she attempted to conceal the fact that she was Dunleavy's aide. Well, she was Dunleavy's aide this time or last time or whatever. Um, but and then, you of course, you read on the other side that, you know, she wasn't just a mom that she was wasn't testifying in front of a committee or in on the floor that she was having a meeting with Keel in his office as he was meeting on behalf of his senator because he was a legislative aide as well. It's a I mean, I don't know if we're down to splitting hairs or stuff, but this is just this is the fascinating part of this whole thing to watch this kind of, you know, break out the popcorn and watch this kind of stuff go back and forth. Um, uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's astonishing. Now, interestingly enough, um, boy, even David Eastman came out and said it was inappropriate for Keel to attack a character, uh, excuse me, a nominee, uh, on their character in that manner. Um, but others were, um, were very, uh, defensive of it. Tomaszewski, uh, Frank Tomaszewski said he found Markham to be honest and above reproach. Dan Sadler said that she always maintains respect and decorum, even while under fire. Uh, some Republicans said legislators shouldn't conflate Markham's comments while leading the policy form uh, with her own personal beliefs. Although, I, 
I think that that's a, in many ways, that's a hollow argument. I mean, if, if, you know, you could pretty much guarantee that if I was running an organization that was advocating for conservative viewpoints, that probably, more than likely, that is because I support and, uh, you know, I support and, and believe in mu- much of that as well. I mean, come on. It's just, it's like saying that, uh, you know, you, you are a member and a head of the Northern Environmental Center, but your personal beliefs are you really don't believe in environmental justice, right? I mean, come on. We, we know it's, that's kind of a hollow argument. Mike Shower and Kevin McCabe suggested that Markham could bring a new perspective to the Board of Regents, which I think is impressive. And Shelly Hughes said to have a fiscal watchdog is not a bad thing uh, overall. Um, Hughes said that accusing Markham of lacking integrity was unfair and pointed out that not only does Markham have a bachelor and master's degree, she's had additional education in both Japan and Hungary and has spent years studying and publishing important information about Alaska education. Hughes and other Republicans said that it's important to have a diversity of opinion on the Board of Regents and that not every regent needs to be rah-rah for the university system, which has plenty of critics around the state for quality and performance. I mean, yeah. So again, I don't mean, I don't need to belabor this anymore, but I just, to me, this is a fact, this is a fascinating kind of snapshot into the polarized nature of government these days that we've seen this just a few times. The Ivy Sponholtz one, um, I wasn't familiar with, um, uh, I wasn't that familiar with Carl Johnstone at the time. We talked about it a bit and how it was so uh, kind of, low class and unfair for her to make these baseless accusations uh, at the time. But I've known Bethany. I've, I've, you know, I've met her, talked with her, interviewed her on the show. I don't know, probably a dozen times in the last five, six, eight years. And she's always been a straight shooter. And so to watch this kind of character assassination come out on this, in this regard is, um, well, it's, it's interesting. It's telling. Um, I wouldn't say that it's surprising, um, but uh, definitely an interesting choice uh, for uh, the the point of attack for these folks as we go through. So I'm sure we'll talk with this. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk with Mike Shower about this here uh, in just a moment. Uh, quick mention before we go to break. Uh, quick mention tonight in the Ways and Means Committee. For this evening's uh, for this evening's uh, testimony, which I believe uh, Donna can correct me in the chat room, but I believe starts at six, is the PFD bill and the constitutional amendment. They're both up in Ways and Means Committee at six p.m. this evening, and you can go to an LIO or you can uh, email the Ways and Means Committee, and we'll get you some contact info on that in a little bit. But that's coming up tonight at six p.m. So if you're paying attention to that, that's the important part. We wanted to give you the opportunity to remember that. All right, we're going to go. we got more coming up. Mike Shower is going to be joining us in hour two. We will continue. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio, The Michael Duke Show, broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator. We return with more right after this.
We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. Uh, Okay. Someone has your direct cell? A lot of people have my direct cell. Are you kidding me? I've had the same phone number for 30 years. It's not like it's not like it was secret. Um Alaska Policy Forum says Kathy was pushing hard against the teachers union. Bethany was instrumental in stopping the union's dues with the Janus decision. Yeah, I mean that was making her unpopular as well. I'm I'm with you on that. Um uh, let's see. Bethany Donna says Bethany is brilliant, hardworking, and refuses to bow to the government industrial complex. Uh, it's good stuff. And you're right. Harold's right. It's called groupthink. When you mix this phenomenon with social cliques developed over the course of five months as essentially hostage legislatures, the results become a little weird. I, I don't disagree with that. Um, um, tofu, what tofu? Um, to oh tofu is thing. Uh, there's a zero percent chance that uh, Bethany said the mom thing. Says says Donna. I mean, yeah. I mean, she's like, I've never been, I've never been uh, now or ever been a mother. Okay. Um, can Nat- can Natasha and Andrew please share the limelight and the mirth? Like I said, I mean, he's been quoted a lot lately. I mean, that guy will stand up at the drop of a hat. I keep waiting for him to. Drop me a big juicy soundbite. Uh, we'll see what happens. Maybe he'll. I mean, he. Well, he's he's had some doozies so far, but nothing that's necessarily worthy to put in the soundboard machine here to replay over and over. I mean, there's just. I mean, there's you just know that there's nothing as good as the greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. I just don't. Fathom it. I mean, there's been some good ones. I wear two pins today. Oh no, that was a super long one. That was just BS. I mean, there's that was just BS. There's some good. There's some good quotes in here. There's some good stuff in here. But uh, anyway, um, let's see. Um, Rep. Gray wants to take your rental properties and force them into long-term rental, supposedly to help the homeless instead of travelers or tourists. Um, that's interesting. Um, Kiel is a joke. Liars everywhere. What is the email address for them? Um, Donna can tell us exactly what the email address is for them. Um, for the house ways and means, I think it's ways and means dot gov. If I'm not mistaken, or maybe it's house ways and means one word. Anyway, they'll somebody will tell us here in the chat room uh, during the thing. Uh, we have to let Natasha live on. Yeah, she's got to live on into infamy. We've got to remember just how tired she was. This is day. I don't know what the heck day it is, Madam President. It's day a lot, and we're all tired. And it is time to get a new perspective. 
This fishbowl and air is very stale. My clothes, I'm so sick of them, I don't want to wear them anymore. <laughs> she was such a gem. She was such a gem. Man, just loved that. I just love that. <laughs> My clothes, just, I'm so sick of them, I don't want to wear them anymore. Because I'm not just, oh, I can't wash my own clothes. Plebeians, I don't have my servants here to wash. My, my wardrobe is too small. I didn't have an outfit for every 121 days. I don't know what it was. But, I mean, yeah, you're 100 days and you got six outfits. You do probably get tired of wearing the same outfit over and over. But if you wash them... I mean, you're probably not like me. I mean, I go to the store. I buy four pairs of pants in the three or four different colors that they have. I find a shirt that I like and is comfortable, and I buy it in every color that it, that they have that I like. And uh, that's pretty much it. I wear, you know, I've got 12 different shirts that I wear and four pairs of pants, and just wash them as need be. There you go. That's I'm easy, but I'm a guy, right? I'm a guy. Um. I'm just sick of my clothes. God, that is such a great quote. Oh. Um, I've been wearing four different hoodies with three different pairs of jeans for two years. Works just fine, says Richard. I mean, I maybe it's a maybe it's a lady thing. I don't know. I haven't talked to my wife about it, but maybe it's a lady thing where they gotta have more. Of the same. I mean, I've got three pairs of pants that are all the same color. I could wear, you wouldn't even, you couldn't even tell which, I mean, I could wear them all week and switch them. You wouldn't even know which was which, but I guess it doesn't matter. It's all right. As long as you wash them, which I do occasionally. <laughs> all right, let's go. Here we Okay. <laughs> oh man, we went into the Wayback Machine there. We're playing some sound bites during the commercial break. So just reminders of how good it can be sometimes when you get some folks out there who just want to be quoted. Want to be quoted. And uh, anyway, some funny stuff. It was good for a laugh, which I need occasionally. You know, sometimes, again, this whole thing with Markham. I mean, you heavy sigh at the end, but while it's going on, you're kind of laughing inside like, man, you people just, you love to find the things that you, ah, attack, attack, attack. You got to love it. You got to love it. Um, okay. Uh, what is my next, what was my next, uh, oh, oh God, Larry Persilli. Remember, we were just talking about him yesterday with Brad. He's been writing uh, stories and opinion pieces all over the place. I mean, he has become kind of, uh, in some ways, the de facto mouthpiece for the uh, for the business as usual. We've got to pay our own way. We've got that. 
But every as you read his articles, you're like you're going through this, and it's so full of. Well, I mean, I guess I would say willful blindness. I would say factual inaccuracies, but I mean, I guess technically he, he's right in some ways, but it's just kind of the willful blindness. Uh, this latest piece is uh, over in the Alaska Beacon. It's a commentary piece that he uh, was published last night. Uh, so this is fresh and brand new for many of you. Um, and the headline reads of this opinion piece, the headline reads, it's time to pull off the bandage in Alaska's tax debate one way or the other. He says the great tax debate in Alaska sounds similar to the age old question of whether it's less painful to yank off the bandage quickly or peel it off slowly and gently. Now, we really all know the answer to that. It's a quick step, right? I mean, are we all can should we take a poll? I mean, how many of you? slowly peel the bandage off. I mean, how many just rip that thing off, right? I mean, I'm in the rip it off crowd. That's just, I mean, I'm not going to hang around and take 10 minutes to peel. It's going to be one second of pain versus this. No, rip it off. Anyway, sorry, sidebar there. Um, He said, I found that it just doesn't matter at all that much how I pull off the bandage. Neither way is pleasant, especially what this is kind of a gross story, especially when there's a scab underneath. He uses this analogy throughout the whole piece, folks. Just if you've got if you haven't had your breakfast and this is makes you queasy, I'm sorry. He goes on to say, and some of the phrasing in here is just so precious. It's the same for taxes in tax-free Alaska. That, that's the start of the next paragraph. It's the same for taxes in tax-free Alaska. Um, uh, I think we have a problem there because we're not tax-free. Businesses are taxed. Companies are taxed. Groups are taxed. And in fact, every recipient of the permanent fund dividend is taxed. So this I and he goes he he uses this phrase several times in this in this article. The tax-free Alaska, tax-free life. We're living the tax. Remember what I said before? Do you remember? God, I think it was last week was the last time I mentioned it. They're gonna be looking at you like you haven't been paying your fair share. You've been getting a free ride in this tax-free Alaska. I didn't say tax-free, he did, but it's the it's exactly what I was talking about last week. That this is what you're gonna hear the other side and the talking heads start to talk about, that it is the tax-free, that it is the free ride, that we have just not been paying our way or paying our fair share. We should be so grateful that they're doing all these things for us and that we don't have to pony up to do any of these things, all of which, by the way, is a lie. Because they got the first bite at the apple uh, on all of our money as a owner as a resource owner state they get the first bite by all the revenues flowing to the state first and now they're taking the bite out of that little tiny bit that we would be left over in the form of a pfd now they're taxing that okay so i'm sorry back to the article 
It's the same for taxes in tax-free Alaska. None of the options are pleasant. All will hurt at first. There are a lot of political scars and scabs that will break open no matter what tax is adopted, an income tax or a sales tax. See, remember what I said before as well, that they are going to get, you know, that we were getting chastised, Brad and I were getting chastised for talking about, you know, flat taxes as the best option available. Not that we either one of us wanted it, but if we didn't at least offer the best tax available as an option for discussion, then what was going to happen was that they were going to come in and they were going to institute the tax of their choice. And here he is right now. Oh, it doesn't matter which options were adopted, an income tax or a sales tax. They're already setting the stage, folks. They're setting the stage. This is setting the stage for the next three to five years in the state of Alaska. This piece right here. Regardless, the only way to stop the, the excuse me, regardless, the only way the state budget and public service wounds will ever heal is to stop picking at them. I just, I'm not sure of this analogy, Larry. I'm just not search of this analogy. For that to happen, the majority of legislators and the governors need to agree on a real fiscal plan, not just talk of a plan or talk of getting together later to talk about a plan. Well, at least there we can agree with it. But I mean, Ways and Means is working on it right now. There are things actually happening. Until then, too many elected officials are doing the equivalent of pulling back the bandage ever so slowly, not even pulling it off, just peeling it back to peak to see what which of their constituents cry out the loudest. There are more tax proposals floating around the legislative pharmacy this year than in any uh, than in a long time. That's good. It's the medicine Alaska needs to improve its communities and provide for future for healthy future. So he's already he's already out there talking about tax. Oh, yeah, got to have it. Got to have it. Without a real fiscal plan, with I, this whole thing goes on and on and on. After 44 years of tax-free life, gotta love that again. More Alaskans are acknowledging that oil cannot pay for everything, though oil revenue certainly will be a part of the long-term fiscal fiscal plan. And he goes on to talk about capping the permanent fund so that no Alaskan ever pays more in taxes than they receive in an annual. He wants you to take the PFD. That's, you know, that's part of it. And he never mentions any part of the actual reduction in the PFD or the usage of PFD funds to pay for government. He just breezes over the whole thing about there's a proposal for a personal income tax that we be capped at the amount of each year's permanent fund dividend so that no Alaskan ever pays more in taxes than they receive in the annual PFD, which is essentially just an extension of what they're doing right now. They're just taxing you. You just don't get to write it off or, you know, do anything. You just, you know, it's all. Uh, but this this whole piece is just so, uh, what is the word I want to use? Uh, kind of a combination of uh, smarmy and uh, condescension. I don't, I, I mean, that's kind of gets, it's, it's not quite either, but it's almost a, combination of the two, right? It's not quite super smarmy. It's not quite fully condescending, but it's somewhere in the middle on this. You should, I mean, you should really just read this article with an open mind, go in and then take a look at it and see what, uh, and see what you say on it. But again, Larry Persilli has become the poster child for everything that is, um, the, 
for everything that is uh, going to be pushed against the PFD and 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 taxes and all this other, this is where things are going. This is uh, definitely where things are going. Um, okay. Um, we're just about to run out of time. Uh, and we're going to be hearing from State Senator Mike Shower uh, in just a few minutes. In fact, on the other side of this commercial break and the news hour and everything else, we're going to understand, uh, we're going to see him and talk about this. What other stories? Oh, we didn't get to the stories on the judge, and I didn't get to make a commentary on the DEA extending telemedicine options. That's more of a national story, but I thought it really affected Alaska because I know my family has benefited greatly from the whole telemedicine thing. And um, uh, maybe we'll save that story for tomorrow. Maybe we'll talk about it tomorrow. Uh, speaking of which, Larry Persilli, no, sorry. Andrew Jensen, I got Priscilla on the brain. Andrew Jensen from the governor's office is going to join us in hour two tomorrow to talk about food security. I'm looking forward to that. All right, we got to go. The Michael Luke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio, hour two, dead ahead. Okay. Oh man, uh, just as I'm crazy stuff. All right. Oh, Ron Gillum is in the chat room commenting on the whole Natasha thing. When you make a hundred thousand dollars per month, you can afford a new set of clothes each day. Well, that's true. I mean, with money like hers, I'd give mine away at that point, you know? You know it's time to wash them when you can stand when they can stand in the corner by themselves, says Bill. Is that personal experience talking, Bill? I just I want to just know. Tax free, you say? Says Brian? Question mark. I mean, yeah, dude, seriously. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Um. Uh, tax free. <clears throat> Yeah, uh, Ron Gillum talks about uh, property taxes. I mean, again, tax-free, I mean, we're talking about corporate taxes, revenue, royalties, all this other stuff. Of course, he means the average citizenry is not paying a state income tax. He's buttering it up for that, you know. He's buttering it up for that uh, on their thing. Um. All right. Um, uh, Jennifer's I'm saying nothing to comparing, nothing like Deshana says, nothing like comparing our situations to scabs. Just pull it off and poke that scab underneath. It was the, I started reading it and I'm like, man, I'm feeling a little queasy here. Did you want to talk about the pus and the other stuff coming out of the scab? I mean, did you want to talk about, I mean, this is not. Uh, it's not healthy. It's not a healthy analysis. It's not a healthy thing. Um. Uh, while I understand this difference, uh, this is a different category, but I certainly do not feel tax-free based on what I was dishing out for property taxes every year. Well, yeah, and Deshana, how many kids, how many folks, how many people are living in your house? Each one of them, 
you know, is going to potentially lose $3,000 per person this year on their dividend, I mean, I definitely doesn't feel tax-free to me. That's, uh, that's what it's all about. Why is the DEA involved in telemedicine or um, why is the government involved at all with telemedicine? Uh, because it's about the prescriptions of, um, of uh, narcotics, both opioids and Adderall and some other things. That's what it's all about. Um, it's about, you know, doctors not seeing the patient face to face. Well, I mean, just give people their, give people their due. Um, you are in a real Alaskan if you haven't had clothes that stand by themselves at least once, says Brian. I would not disagree with that comment. I have had occasionally clothes, especially when I was commercial fishing. I was a ute. I was a ute and I was commercial fishing. There were a few times that I had uh, some pants that would stand up by themselves from all the halibut and fish slime and stuff that got on them. I, yeah, I just said, Robbie's yelling at me for talking about scabs and pustules and everything else. Sorry, Robbie. Wasn't my idea. He, he started it. It's not my fault. He started it. Uh, it's time to pull the Band-Aid off and examine the blisters and boils underneath. Uh, <laughs> this guy's just like, wow, dude, you went there. You went, you went full on, full on. Uh, all right. Um, we're waiting on uh, Shower to join us here, which uh, he supposedly should do here in just a second. Uh, the article that I was going to read from, by the way, Brian, on that, the DEA, the telemedicine thing is up in the um, in the ADN. It's actually a Washington Post article reprint uh, in the ADN. But it it is interesting. Uh, I I mean, I ask that question all the time. Why is the federal government involved in decisions that I want to make with my doctor, whether I see them face to face or not? And especially in Alaska, where there is a huge amount of, uh, of uh, you know, rural, urban, geographic divides, having people live in remote and, and everything else. I mean, this all started during the pandemic. Right. This all started during the pandemic when they wanted everybody to social distance and they, oh, we got to we're going to do everything we can. This telemedicine is going to help. And the thing is, is that, you know, choice got better. People had better options. They could see different doctors. They didn't have to drive, you know, 150 miles to go see somebody else. They could see a different doctor and it worked out better. And as soon as they started talking about cracking down, there was a huge hue and cry from the public to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. You've relaxed it. Why not just leave it there? I mean, it's, again, one of those few silver linings of the pandemic is that it gave people the opportunity to try something new that would have never flown before. And this is one of them. And uh, there you go. Can we examine the scabs via Zoom and not prescribe meds? <laughs> well, now we're stuck on the whole scab comment, aren't we? That's what it's all about. Um, yeah. So anyway, it's... Uh, it, it's an interesting article. You should read it. Um, and uh, again, fewer, fewer, you know, fewer regulations, the better in many cases. And especially something like this, where there's already technology that wasn't in place when they put these laws on the books. It makes more sense to do that. All right. Hey, uh, we're going to go over here. Shower is uh, on the on the thing. 
but he's muted himself. I can't unmute him because he's muted himself. Now, Why not? I, I don't know. Well, I, you were. It said you cannot unmute your guests because they chose to mute themselves. That's why it said that. Well, usually, you just control everything, and I can't do anything. I'm that's stuck because that's my job. All right, you ready? Let's go. We're gonna. Sure. Okay, I'm gonna mute you again. See, just like that, I just did what I said I was gonna do. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Let's do it. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Time to get a new perspective. Uh, that's what we're all about here on the Michael Duke Show. Uh, thanks for coming in and joining us. Hour two of the big radio broadcast for today. Are you ready? Are you? Are you buckle up, Buttercup. It's time for uh, the shower hour of the power. That's right. State Senator Mike Shower joins us for what we're calling today. This is the. Uh, this is the. Um, one week till end of session update. That's what we're calling this because we're so good at naming things. The one week till end of session update. We'll see what uh, State Senator Mike Shower has to say with us today as we uh, dive into it and get ready for the good stuff. Uh, good morning, my friend. How are you? How, how I'll be a how, lot more excited next Wednesday. I'm just going to. You look. You look so overjoyed. And yet, so tired at the same time. Uh, it's, I'm tired. It's got to be. It, tired. It's got to be exhausting. I mean, it really has to be mentally draining to go down there, to not really have a place. Right? You have no position on anything. You are doing some stuff behind the scenes, but at some point, you just got to be going. Damn, this is just pain. This is just pain to watch all this stuff go on, and basically, all you can do is squawk at the wind as it blows in your face you know what i mean it's it's uh it's got to be interesting so uh last week uh what's happened in the last seven days since we talked about it? we were just talking about the bethany markham thing and uh the attack 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 on the floor that we saw on that and how We've all got to be bobbleheads if we're on the regents board that we can't have somebody who maybe has an opposing viewpoint or whatever. Uh, you want to give us your thoughts and comments on that before we move on to other stuff? Yeah, I watched. I mean, obviously, I was sitting in the back there, um, Mike, and I. That was the only time I was hoping that one of these confirmation hearings that last for hours and hours, I would not have to say anything. And I thought, oh, I might make it on this one. I'm going to have to. All I got to do is say my yay and nay and be done. 
And uh, sure enough, um, they had to do the thing with Bethany Markham. And I said, that's it. I'm going to speak. And, you know, I only spoke for maybe 90 seconds. It wasn't real long, but it started off one of the representatives continuing to lie like they do. The governor, Straconian, he cut 41% of the university's budget. He devastated. I'm like, okay, here we go again. So, no, it was not 41% of the university's budget, but nobody ever calls these people out on a lie. It was actually 41% of the state's portion of the budget, which is the smallest portion of the university's budget. It was only about 15.6%, as I remember, total. And that's a, I mean, that's a cut, right? But it's not that. And part of that was designed also, Mike, to force the university president and board of regents to actually become a land-grant university. So I've made the point that, first of all, this is falsehood, misinformation. If you're going to make a decision, stop. Deal with facts, not falsehoods, looking right at the back of the rep's head that stood up and said it. And that rep was a AA dog, no better. The second part I said is that, you know, we need this. Like you said, Mike, we need diversity of opinion. Bethany Markham is a fiscal conservative. We need that. We don't need another, um, uh, like I said, kumbaya board where everybody's all in agreement. That's groupthink. It's dangerous. It happens here in the legislature. It happens in all kinds of organizations. You don't need that. You need opposing voices. Um, and then they brought up, you know, the stuff about the board, you know, the, uh, <laughs> the redistricting board. Like, yeah, because the lefties that were put on it didn't cause all kinds of chaos and they weren't biased at all, were they? You Democrats talking bad about it. Uh, Again, you know, the- every every redistricting board for the last five or six turns, 60, 50, 60 years, every decision has had to be adjudicated by a judge because there's been gerrymandering in one way or the other. This is not surprising. This is not shocking uh, when it's all said and done. This is basically business as usual. Well, no, Terry, you don't have my grumpy face on. I'm just tired. But um, and then the final point I made was that, uh, I didn't, like I said, I just wanted to make a couple of counterpoints, was that, um, you know, Bethany is, a, like I said, a fiscal conservative, and, you know, the, they're always going to hit her because, you know, what they want a redistricting board, I guess, that had five libs on it, that were just going to do everything the libs wanted. They already pretty much got their way because the previous Senate president a couple times ago, you know, had a board member that was specifically designed to counter Dunleavy's two choices. I know because another senator I heard it said, you know, one with their own ears, um, we had a, a Supreme Court chief justice who clearly picked one that, you know, was going to be a counter because they lean left. And so you had Dunleavy's two conservative picks, one of which was Bethany Markham. Uh, and who do you think the House speaker's pick was, you know, another left person? So the board was already leaning left to begin with, Mike. When you had, you should have had a, between the Senate president and the governor, you should have had three solid conservative picks, right? Should have had a board that at least was going to be in a Republican dominated state. You know, if it was going to favor anything, it should have been Republicans, and it didn't. We created a whole new Democrat district, right, in Anchorage. The Matsu got no new seats, and based on our growth, we should have, you know, and it's a conservative part of state. So don't tell me that thing wasn't rigged. What a bunch of garbage, right? And then one of them stood up and basically, as it seems like, at least lied about what she said. Right. So right. impugned her motive again. <clears throat> yeah. Which, uh, was brought up by another representative. So here we are, as, a, as opposed to bringing up these things like uh, a certain representative accused a man of sexual assault inappropriately and, and was libel, libeling the guy, slandering him on the floor in front of everybody with no chance to defend himself or counter it. 
um, and to, and torpedo that was a judge, right? Previous judge, right, right. Um, With... This this kind of garbage, Mike, is not appropriate, and this is not the first time it's happened where people stand up and impugn somebody, unprovable, unable for that person to defend themselves, and they do it anyways in public on the record on, in front of a camera. It's it's garbage politics. It's dirty politics, and uh, I made the point. My last point that I never said was that uh, sorry, I'm tired this morning. Um, that a few years ago, I was speaking to, because I've asked Bethany Markham about this, about her, her stance on um, the university funding. And she is nowhere suggested, you know, that the, the university should be, you know, cut to the bone, that we don't need a good university. She's in favor of it. She just wants it to be fiscally responsible. And, and she also wants it to be funding itself as much as possible because it's a land grant university. And I brought up the point that I asked a few years ago, the Senate president, I'm not Senate, I keep saying Senate, thank you. I, I brought up the point that I had talked to the university president and I asked him, I said, okay, man, what's your stance on land grant university? University of Texas has like $26 billion and theirs, we have like 2 billion, but we are a bigger state. We have, you have tons of land and oil, everything else we have. How come ours isn't big? Well, this, that, and the other. I said, well, you just support using more of our land to help fund the university absolutely all about it man let's do it cool then i go out and uh you know talk to the board of regents and and he says i can't do it though because of the board of regents they won't let me i said i talked to three of the board of regents over the next week or two have them in my office ask the exact same question like, absolutely we're all about this we need to do it but we can't because the senate president or the the university president won't let us i'm like mm, okay i see how this is going to go and each side was blaming the other, probably shaking hands behind closed doors, Mike. The reality was they were afraid of the environmentalist groups and other groups that would hold them, you know, hold them accountable um, and would not let them, you know, use our university lands for mining or oil and gas development or logging or anything else. Bunch of people on the left that were scared to death of it. And so here we are, the state again with funding. And I'm looking at them and I said on the floor yesterday, I said, do you really if you're if you're in the university, do you really want to rely on the Alaska legislature to fund you every year? <laughs> because this state doesn't know what the heck it's going to do. It's up one year, it's down. It's up, it's down. It's an oil petro state, Mike. Anyways, it's ridiculous. So long, yeah. long word salad, as a friend of ours on the program would say there this morning, because I'm tired and not thinking straight. But it was just it was pretty smooth, and I thought it went really well until we got to Bethany Markham's, and it was like you got to be kidding me. You know, well, almost three hours of all that stuff. Um, and then to watch somebody get personally attacked and slandered again, it's just like, you know, just it's disappointing. It is. Well, it's interesting that you bring up the whole land grant thing. And one of the reasons why they don't want to, you know, do anything is because they're afraid of I, I'm reading this report from this that was prepared by the uh, for the state. And it was prepared by the university, in part by the University of Alaska. And on page two. Two of this report, uh, where it's uh, or page, I guess page four, where it gets into the meat of it, and it's a welcome. There was this paragraph that it, that caught my attention, and it says land acknowledgement, and I'm like, okay, what's this mean? And it says our University of Alaska campuses reside on the unceded territories of the Dina people of the Lower Tanana, the Aklutna Denina, the Klingit, the Central Yupik, and the Inupiaq. 
However, the scope of this task force report pertains to all indigenous people. We acknowledge that Alaska Natives have been stewards of the lands for which we are grateful. We recognize the series of unjust actions that attempted to remove indigenous peoples from their lands. And we honor that. I mean, this thing just goes on for a whole paragraph of like, wait, you're a land grant cop. Maybe this is all part of it. It's all this residual guilt uh, and worry about all this other kind of stuff that's going on. I mean, this is just an acknowledgement and a report that really has nothing to do with land grant status or anything else. But maybe that's part and parcel of the problem. I, I, I don't know. Like you said, it is a land grant college, and we should they should be doing a lot more with most of that land. They've got a huge amount of land. They do, and not all of it's perfectly, you know, uh, developable or you know land that is necessarily desirable for certain things. But the point is, some of it is, and we're not using much of it. And that's the whole point. And when you kind of dig into a little more, you find out the University of Texas is actually using theirs, right? Texas seems to be really good about developing their land and bringing in business, et cetera. I mean, different, you know, like strategic location, you know, on the Gulf Coast down there. I mean, there's certainly some reasons for some of that. But at the same time, they've been, from what I can gather, talking to people, trying to research it when I asked those questions, you know, four or five years ago, they're very aggressive and active about doing so. Ours seems to be scared to death of doing anything. Um, you know, back to this entire push, Mike, of basically turned this whole state into a national park. I really don't know what else to tell you. There was a, an activist from Anchorage that called last night, had some questions. She's been very active and doing things. And she's like, what do we do? And, and you know, is what can we do? And I'm looking at her going, honestly, I don't know. Um, and the problem with that is, Mike, is I'm watching all this. I'm like, you got a Senate right now. Um, you know, dominated by Democrats that seems to want to spend us into oblivion while some of them sit there and say, we need to be fiscally responsible. A big PFT is just too much. Well, you guys are talking about adding almost half a billion dollars every single year right now. In addition to the 120 or so million, it's going to go up every year just for contract costs that are already cooked into the books. And you're talking about taxes. And those are coming, by the way, Mike, no matter what we do at the PFT in the next few years, five, six years, somewhere there, depending on the economic circumstances, price of oil, performance of the stock market with our permanent fund, the taxes are coming because we're spending money at a rate that's going to, I mean, at a 75, 25 with the current rate, if things just stayed on the same path that they are now about five years from now, the estimates, the, per, the permanent fund dividends can be taken. All of it. That's the big joke right now down here is like, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, uh, you know, gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today, as Wimpy said famously in the cartoon back in the day. We'll gladly pay you a 50-50 PFD five years down the road once we find several billion dollars of tax revenue to cover all the spending that we're proposing right now. And sure, after eight years of taking the dividend, we're going to make it bigger. <laughs> what? <laughs> In their right mind believes that, right? Right. right. Well, we're and again. About spending more money, no reductions to spending whatsoever in the Senate coalition as a group is proposing spending hundreds of millions of more dollars well that is that looks like it's going to be on the floor here in a day or two in the senate that was the definition of the kobayashi maru scenario the no win scenario let's just add monies onto this so long oh sure you can have your 50 50 dividend after you put a billion dollars here and a billion dollars there and fill up the CBR and do all this. And then, you know, all these un- this stuff, you know, all unobtainium, you can, no way you can obtain it, but we put it in there. I mean, it's, it's the classic no win, but you're going to, you're going to have to, you're going to have to deal with it. That's what it's all about. All right. Mike showers, our guest. 
We got we got more coming up. He's getting some coffee in him. He's going to be rip-roaring by the time we get to the end of the show this morning. Uh, back with more. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. More when we return at State Senator Mike Shower right after this. Listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, in the break right now, my shower is our guest. I mean, yeah. I mean, how many, how many. How many millions of acres of land does the University of Alaska cover in their land grant versus the University of Texas in their land grant? I mean, it's uh, it's got to be substantially more, and yet they've done almost nothing with it. I'm not going to comment up because I don't remember the numbers at this point, Mike, but it was certainly enough to pretty much fund itself if it was you know being fully and aggressively used as it could be. They're just not. And, you know, you go, oh, my gosh, logging, you know, it's like they could be logging on some of the land. And how many, what, I believe three sawmills were shut down, three mills down the southeast Alaska employing hundreds and hundreds of people at a place that needs employment. Oh, because we're afraid of the people that don't want us to cut down trees. We won't even talk about the fact that, um, you know, newer trees, if you log and replant, which all of those companies do because they're not stupid, they know they want to re-log, you know, somewhere down the road. Um Newer trees sink carbon at a much faster rate than old trees do, old growth forests. Won't talk about that. Won't talk about the jobs. Won't talk about the need for it someplace else. Um, you know, the Tongass, you know, with the roadless rule from, I believe it was the Clinton administration back in the day. So it's like every time you turn around, Mike, a Democrat, especially a Democrat administration on the federal side, is just shutting the state down over and over again um, on so many things for a state that they know doggone good and well is reliant um, upon federal money, which then they can twist our arms and do whatever they tell us. And it's reliant upon resource development. I mean, Mike, if we don't drill for oil and gas, if we don't mine for minerals, if we don't fish, if we don't log, tell me what else we have up here to do. Well, even, even when they don't stand in the way, even when the federal government doesn't stand in the way, we're sabotaging ourselves, um, you know, uh, in this regard, we have the opportunity to develop and do some of the things on our own. And even then we're not doing it or we're ignoring it in the case of the whole land grant thing. Well, plus, Mike, you look at that as well. I mean, who's moving here? We got all these brand new legislators and so many of them literally are coming from California, Oregon and Washington that just got here, you know, and they're bringing instead of leaving those places that they're destroying with the philosophical ideas down there of utopian communism, Marxism, socialism. They're bringing it up here. They're moving to Alaska and bringing those same ideas. Um, and I'm going, what do you think this state's going to be when you ruin it? Because I know what you're going to do. You're going to ruin it here and you're going to leave and go somewhere else and do it there too. You're like a virus. You spread. You're spreading out of California, taking the garbage with you. And then you're ruining that place and you're going to go like a virus onto the next host and the next host that's healthy until there's nothing left. Right. And it's all been destroyed because that's the dream, right? Mike, I was just reading a, a thing last night about that, about how this generation, you know, the lineal generation and the next one have been Shanghai by this idea that capitalism and the West and a, and a Republican form of government is bad 
but that communism is good. And so, you know, reading quotes from Thomas Sowell or Sowell, what, what, where? Show us where. Show us the example of where that's done well. It's not. Well, look at communist China. It's thriving. No, it's not. It's it's under the thumb of the communist Chinese or the Chinese Communist Party and the military. 100%. They've got full-on ESG is implemented in China. Their people look over their shoulder everywhere. They are filmed everything they do all day long, cameras everywhere you go. The government could be knocking on your door like the brown shirts back in the 1930s and 40s in you know, Germany, knocking on your door with the secret police. I mean, you watch everything that you do. I mean, it's just, but that's where, that's where it goes. It's not law and order. It's not freedom. It's not you can do what you want with your own business, whatever. Everything's controlled. I mean, is that what they want? See, they, they quote these things because these professors back to universities that have never done anything in their life, Mike, besides be a university professor. And then they spelt all these ideas and the kids say, that sounds like utopia. It's going to be fantastic. I'm like, have you ever looked? Right. Visited these countries where this stuff is in place right. because it's either failed. The people are oppressed and enslaved. Life sucks. Their economy's in the tank. Yeah. And, and China is a weird example because it's actually using capitalism to its advantage, but keeping its communism draconian control of the population. Yeah. Well, like you said, you know, wow, right to the bell. show me a place that where it's worked. And they're like, well, we can't, you know, well, they just didn't do it the right way. They it's just communism. It right. It's just, why. it's just not communism done right. If you could do communism, right. It would, but we can't show you an example of it. We can't, we can't show you. All right. Uh, here we go. The Michael Duke show, common sense, Liberty based free thinking radio. Let's get to it. Uh, here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Huh. Whew. I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. Yeah, buddy. Here we go. We're continuing now. State Senator Mike Shower, our guest. For the shower hour of power, one week to go in the legislative session. We were just talking about the Californication of pretty much everywhere. Uh, I've never understood that. People get frustrated. They don't like California anymore. They're upset with the policies, and then they move, and then when we get to their new location, they start demanding policies that were identical to the place that they just left because it was horrible and draconian. And it's, man, human nature is just a real bugger sometimes. Um, uh, Mike, let's uh, talk about uh, the last week uh, of the session here. What uh, what are we looking at? I mean, the House has put forward their version of the budget, and it's been out there for quite a while now. And yet the Senate continues to hold on to their budget version. There's behind-the-scenes things happening. There's, you know, meetings with the leadership and everything, but no conference committee. Uh, and then Bert Stebman was quoted in the paper uh, on Monday as basically saying, well, we're holding these back in the committees for flexibility. I don't know what that means other than, you know, he's going to launch a last minute counterattack and a last minute surprise is going to come out of the committee with some kind of substitute that is going to have all the things that he wants in it. And then you're only going to have two days to get it done or three days to get it done. And he's going to tell you, of course, that, uh, well, now we don't have time. We don't, we can't negotiate. We no more. It's time compression as a weapon. Uh, and so then we're going to come up against it. We may or may not have a budget by next Wednesday, uh, a week from today. And then if that does happen, 
then I guarantee you the Senate uh, uh, majority, the House minority, and all the newspapers or everything will point at the Republicans and say, see, they're the problem. They're why we're going to shut down because they weren't willing to. I mean, they put their budget out however many weeks ago it was. And the Senate's the one that's been holding, dragging their feet. I mean, this thing has been in committee sitting there for what, two weeks now, two and a half weeks, and they're still holding on to it. Not enough time to get a conference committee together, even though they'd have the upper hand because none of you minority, unofficial minority members are going to end up on the conference committee. So what's the holdup? What, what, what do you think is happening here? What do you think is going to go on? You already said it, Mike. It's the MO. It's what they do every year. They're going to hold it to the end. And they're going to play chicken. They're going to play chicken with it, and the they'll get the press to tell uh, they'll tell the press to spread the message that it's the House Republicans' fault, even though it isn't. Um, the Senate is holding on to it. That's the standard game they play, Mike. They wait, like you said, time compression. They wait until the end. They'll use it as a political weapon. They will force the leverage and try to. They'll be in. I guarantee they're having backdoor or backroom discussions right now with members of the House and trying to get them to come across and say, "Well, if you just vote for this, you know." We'll make sure that your your capital budget is protected, because remember, there have been times in the last few years where finance co-chairs have stripped capital projects out of districts as punishment. That has happened. Yeah. And that's verifiable. We have talked about it on the program before when they say, though, this is fair and it's reasonable. We're doing no. They have actually used the budget as a weapon. They have stripped things out of people's districts before the, the Matsu delegation has had it happen to it many times. We've bitterly complained about it. They don't care. They will use this and hold it to the very end and play chicken to get the house to flinch. That's what they do. I've watched this with my own eyes, Mike, multiple times. So they'll wait until the very end and play chicken and try to get enough house members to flinch and cave that they get their 21 votes on it. Um, and then they'll go to conference committee with the changes and they'll get what they want like they normally do. They certainly will this year because you just said it. They know doggone good and well they've already got the fix in the bag. They know that they're going to just squash the minority. They're not about to let one of the three of us be on the conference committee as a minority. It's one of the reasons I guarantee you when they kicked us out and shunned us, our Republican colleagues, some of these players that have been around for a while, new doggone good and well, perfect, don't recognize them because then we never have to put them on a conference committee. So they will own the conference committee because they'll put their own three people on there, whoever they want. And then the House will have to put a minority member from the Democrat-controlled minority. So it will be at least a four to two. If you were to have two, even if you had two fiscal conservatives, whatever, they're going to get outvoted four to two, right? Because you have to have two body, two from each of the bodies to vote to agree in a conference committee report. But the, it'd be whoever in the House likely with, um, you know, the minority member, if it comes down to it. Right. And they'll already have the three on the Senate. So, you know, it's, it could be five to one. So that's why I've given up on the budget. I told you guys months ago. Months ago, I told you in the program, I said, I, I'm not even bothering with the budget, Mike. It's already in the bag. They got what they want. Um, it's not even worth fighting over it. In the end, they always do this is where the binding caucus. Oh, you're going to bite at the apple. I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. Yeah. In the Senate finance committee, they put back whatever they want anyways. In the final, they go to the conference committee and they, they, they line it up however they want anyways. So, um, you know, this whole thing, if you got to bite at the apple, like a certain legislator that's no longer in the building used to say that used to be against the binding caucus before he was for it you know um like the old john Kerry. i voted for the right against the or i voted for it um a lot of people changed their minds strangely on that even in the house majority this year so um that being said um this is just the mo it's how the game is played at the end so 
the fix is probably already in. We'll see how it pans out, but I'm not putting a lot of stock into it. Some people will put amendments, they'll all get voted down. I've never had a single reduction amendment ever get passed. They're always voted down. For the fiscally conservative downward pressure, you know, Republican-controlled Senate in the past, it was like, oh, downward pressure. Well, how come you guys always vote against my budget amendments to, to reduce the size of the budget every single time? Whether I put them in, in committee, finance, subfinance committee, whatever, Mike, or put them on the floor, I always voted down every time. So the fix is in. It is. I mean, this is a, you know, man, Mike, is Alaska is a, a union-controlled, you know, left-leaning Democrat-type constitution that guarantees this type of structure. Um, and between the special interests, the big unions and the others, uh, you know, they own this place. They do. Um, and I'm not trying to be down about it. I'm trying to be realistic. So they are going to have the budget they want. They're going to play games probably, probably, I hope not, but probably get some House members to fold in the end. And that may not happen this week, Mike. The, the House may be strong enough and they'll stick together and they'll they'll play chicken. But at some point, if we extend 10 days, which could happen, or we go into a special session in June because we don't pass a budget, well, the, the, the pressure only mounts, right? Right. The closer you get to the 30th of June, then they're like, oh, all the teachers are going to be out of work and the troopers aren't going to answer the phones and the state government, God help us, is going to shut down and, and life will just stop. None of that is true, right? We've said it before. Everybody that was, even if they did get nothing for that last few weeks or whatever, June, they're going to get their back pay. Key and essential workers are still going to show up and get paid. None of that stops. Um, but that's what the fear mongering will be, right? That's what they'll say at the press conferences that they own the press who will, you know, dutifully respond with everything that they're told to say. And um, then the unions will send out, you know, all kinds of nasty things to their union members to force legislators to cave and, and all they'll all put on red T-shirts. And you know, we've been through this dance how many times? Right. And a couple of legislators will go, well, I just can't stand that kind of heat. And, and a couple will cave and they'll get their numbers and probably get the budget. So why waste a lot of time and effort, Mike? It's why I've told you months ago, I've kind of re reshaped the battlefield. I'm not going to play the game their way anymore because playing the game their way is, is a losing proposition. You're not going to win with the lock on power they have. We're not going to pass a comprehensive fiscal plan. You got one of the Senate finance co-chairs said, we don't need to, you know, uh, spending cap. Well, you know, these are the guys that are either going to let a comprehensive plan through the, the committee or not. The final committee seems like you send everything to finance and they send things to finance to die that they don't like. And, and that's the kiss of death, right? I mean, your bill going to finance, if they don't like you or they don't like the bill, it's a kiss of death. And, you know, a, a government agency that doesn't like your bill will give it a fiscal note to guarantee it goes to finance to die. That's how they do it, Mike. I watch it. Um, it's happened to me multiple times. So when you have finance co-chairs that have so much power saying, well, we don't need this particular part of the comprehensive fiscal policy. How are you ever going to get a comprehensive fiscal policy, brother? It's not going to happen. How are you going to get it when um, they won't put in contingency language? I mean, the Senate just passed the, the 75-25, right? Not with my vote last week on the PFD. And if the House, you know, caves on that, then we got to rely on the governor, hopefully, to um, who has said he will not pass anything. That puts all the burden on one group. But what does the what did the Senate just do last week, Mike? Minus about five or six of us, right? The Senate Majority Coalition. Um, most of them voted for a plan that puts all of the burden of paying for the increased cost of this government, some of which they're doing in the Senate, puts it on the backs of the people. And primarily, by the way, Mike, this Senate coalition put it on the backs of the poorest Alaskans the most yep. by taking the difference. Yep. Right? So if you got Senate finance co-chairs 
and you got a Senate majority body that's passing taxes, that is taking more of the PFD, that refuses to enact a comprehensive fiscal policy that's going to constrain us moving forward. How are we going to fix it? Yeah. House well, can't do it by itself. The go governor Dunleavy can't do it by himself. He's got to, he can only work with what we send him. So his only real option is to veto things and, and apply pressure. And by the way, last point, if a 75-25 goes and there is no contingency language because the bill from the Senate had no contingency language that says we have to pass a spending cap in the Constitution, we got to protect the PFD. We got, if you don't have that contingency language, Mike, then it fails. And once that bill passes, if something like that does pass, even if it was a 50-50 statutory, like we're going to follow that, right? <laughs> That's the problem with the statutory bill. <laughs> You're playing, we're not going to follow it. But if it was to pass the House and the governor, for some reason, signed it, do you think at that point that this Senate, made up of who it's made up of, is going to actually enact a comprehensive fiscal plan when they hate the spending cap and they don't want the PFD protected so they can tap it anytime they want? They love this arbitrary. They can take as much money as they need every year and just give you a PFD arbitrarily of whatever they decide after they've spent it on the government and public sector. Mike, there's no leverage. There's no pressure. If you don't have the contingency language, then they'll get what they want. Right. All the money to spend until they take that too. And then they're going to come back for taxes anyways in a couple of years down the road. And not, not 10 or 15 years, probably four or five or six years. Right. So if you don't do that, we are taking away the very leverage. You pass the budget. You pass this bill with no contingency. You've taken away the one, the leverage pieces to force them to come to the table to discuss this, to have a comprehensive plan. And I hope we don't do that, but boy, the Senate's certainly on path to do so. Well, my projection has been that uh, we'll probably see the Senate release the budget maybe late Thursday or Friday uh, with a weekend coming up, Mother's Day, the whole deal. And then you'll have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday for really for something to happen. And uh, I think it'll be I I think it will be a very interesting uh, conversation and situation, but I can already see the pressure being built up. And how, like you said, if they've got four of six committee members, it does end up going to conference. And even if the two voted against it, it gets passed. And then legislators in the House stand strong and say, we're not voting for this. Well, then it's their fault that the government shuts down. Right? I can already see the blame game being shaped and arguments being formed right now. Mike, this is just it's uh, the same show, different day. Been, been, been in this rodeo a couple times already. I know we can, like I said, we can write the script. Almost for sure. And I, I, I hope the House will be willing to, you know, go head to head with the Senate. I, I hope so. But they're it's not like they've got like a 25 or 26, you know, supermajority of Republicans that are going to stick together, you know, to the end. They've got, you know, the Bush caucus in there. They've got some independents, um, you know, that have different priorities. So the chance of, you know, it's going to be more. It's not impossible at all. They've been sticking together so far, but the chance of them holding to the very end to go toe to toe with Senate with a bunch of uh, old guard in the Senate that could care less because they're never going to get voted out of their districts. Yeah, whatever. Mike, see, I go back to the same thing like we talked before, where they were forcing us to vote no on the dividend with the binding caucus and put it in the budget. Right. They knew that some of us could never survive that in our district. And heck, it's probably part of they want to get rid of us, right? It's why I've said before, you can't have, it's hard to have long serving conservative legislators in Alaska. Because we go home and get slaughtered by people on the right that want us to support a dividend. 
we get slaughtered already by people on the left who yell at us in the press and say we're terrible people we're this we're that we're racist we're uh you know we want to push grandma out of the old person's home in a wheelchair all the garbage that then some people listen to and believe and yet they can go home to their district and vote and do however they want they know though but they're always going to get reelected, so they don't right. care so this is the leverage they have they know that we have to be very careful and they can blame us for the problem like they're blaming Shelly Rob and I and saying, well, you're the problem. We can't work with you. No, you wanted a binding caucus. And we said, no, that's why you kicked us out. But then you got to make us look bad by lying about us for months and months and months and telling people how terrible we are, because then you can go back and go, well, they're terrible people. So we just couldn't work with them. Well, that's a lie. But that's see this this whole thing is how they play the game. Right. Not stupid. It, they know it, how to play the game. Yeah. Well, they've got the institutional knowledge and experience to do just that. Uh, All right, we are coming up on the final break. We're going to return. We're going to let him loose on the other side. I mean, yeah, going to let him loose on the other side. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We return with State Senator Mike Schauer right after this. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay. <clears throat> State Senator Mike Schauer uh, returns with us here. I mean, you, uh, you know, you just, you're just not wrong on any of this at this point. You're just not wrong on any of this. They've, they've got it whittled down to a science. They have no fear of getting reelected. Uh, so every time they can shove baby into a corner and, and try and put you on the hook for a vote that you won't be able to live with. Uh, and then they, then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy thing. They say, well, they're hard to work with. Well, because you keep giving them impossible choices where they know they can't live with that with their constituency that they would be voted out of office and now it's instead of just i'm representing my constituency now it's it's a personality thing because we just can't work with them well again stop giving impossible choices to people who know what their constituency wants and that's uh that's that's how they do it each and every time yeah, and it's like we said, Mike, man, it's funny. We're not saying anything new on the radio, Dan. I don't know what else to talk about. It's the same old thing. Every year we end up in the same place and we're talking about the same stuff, right? And well, I mean, that's because that's what's relevant to people, right? <laughs> welcome to the last that. welcome to the last 24 years of my life. Exactly. It's like the same old thing. People go, oh, you guys never talk about nothing new. I'm like, well, there's nothing new under the sun. Same old stuff, right? I mean, there's some new things as far as like defined benefits, trying to bring that back and massive massive bsa increases with no accountability tied to it i mean these are changes mike i mean ask them where they're talking about the if you talk to one of the arm board members i know to talk about the actuarials on the different versions of a defined benefit plan going back to it you know it could be up to half a billion dollars a year depending on the performance of the fund that we have to fund we're already billions of dollars behind on those anyways we're not like 100 percent paid up or you know ahead of the curve on it so when have you seen 
I just watched one of the press conferences from the Senate majority and they were about, oh, uh, you know, retention and recruitment. And we've just got to have a better, you know, a better retirement plan because that's what we need. The other states don't have it. They're not having that problem. Hmm. Okay. So is it a pay issue? Maybe that's some of it sometimes. Would it, would a defined benefit plan help for some people? It might, but you know what they never talk about in that, Mike, it's always the flowery discussion about how we need it and how great it is, but they never talk about the cost. You notice how there's even been a lot of bills moving through the Senate side and they don't even have a fiscal note attached. Right. Like, where's the fiscal note? I can't. Oh, well, we don't have that yet. It was not done. It was whatever. And funny that those state agencies that rely on this funding, Mike, have a hard time getting the fiscal note for that. But when I want one for election integrity, it's like, bam, here's your fiscal note. Woo. That didn't take about two seconds. It's almost like you had that prepared before I even asked for it. Strange how that is because you don't want election integrity bills. But boy, you want that defined benefit. Oh, that's it's going to take us a while. We might get that to you after the session's over. Just vote on it and trust us. I mean, that's I'm being totally facetious, but it's not it's not 100 percent. Right. Well, how how in the how in the hell can these bills pass out of committees, especially ones that have a significant chance of increasing the budget or affecting us fiscally? How in the world can they pass out of committee without a fiscal note? Without a cost factor attached to them, how does that even how does that even work? When all the right people are on the same sheet of music, Mike, it just works like a champ. But boy, if I don't bring one out with a fiscal note, I got a committee member saying I I probably broke the law, which of course we didn't. But they say it on the record and put it out. It's kind of like somebody impugning somebody's character on the floor during a a joint session for confirmation hearings and slandering their character, and they're not there to defend themselves. I mean. These are well thought out in time motives and means for doing things, Mike, to make it happen in the way they want it to. This happens all the time. Watch the Senate press conferences with the majority and they'll say stuff and it's all flowery language and great, but they don't talk about the cost. They don't talk about the, the budget. They don't talk about fiscal responsibility there. Their, their words are carefully chosen to move their agenda forward. And the press very rarely ask a good question. Very rarely. I, I watched a really good, I think it was last week. And one of the press members, you know, I'm trying to avoid names here for this stuff, but one of the press members said, well, are you asking the House for capitulation or for compromise? I'm like, ooh, that's a good question. Yeah. And actually, it's tough one. Yeah. And the Senate president came right out and he said, well, capitulation would be nice. And they laughed and went on to say something else. I'm like, yeah, no, that's actually what you guys want. You want capitulation. That's the answer. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. A moment of uh, straight honesty, you know, um, of honesty in the sense of the motives or the means of, of how they're trying to accomplish it. Well, yeah, they want capitulation. This is what the Senate's going to do. It's what they always do. Um, they're going to play chicken with the budget, and then they're going to blame the other side, and the press is going to repeat it, and everybody's going to blame the House Republicans. I get it. I, I know. Uh, so, you know, they would, they would blame us before where the House would come out when it was controlled by Democrats. Oh, the Senate's just, you know, doing when it was controlled by Republicans. But, you know, anyway, it's just... Oh. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to welcome to my world, my friend. Just that uh, ultimate frustration. How does it feel to smash your head against the wall until you're unconscious and then wake up and do it all again? That's uh, kind of the that's yeah. kind of what it feels like. I guarantee it. All right. Uh, Mike Shower is our guest. Please like and share the show. Like and follow the show page. Hello to everybody who's listening from Juno today. And uh, we will uh, continue one final segment dead ahead right here on your home for common sense radio.
Okay, one final segment of the show this morning. And uh, we're ready to go. Uh, and we're going to just, you know, kind of freeform it here for the last segment. Um, you got seven days before the end of the session. I mean, we should have been done, you know, 90 days. That's the law. But, you know, we, we just ignore it at our leisure. But 121 days makes it May the 17th, next Wednesday, midnight. We got seven days. Uh, put on your Kreskin turban here and prognosticate a little bit. Just hold the envelope up to your forehead and tell me what you think is going to happen over the next seven days. Just paint me, paint me a picture using beautiful words, Mike. Tell me what you think you're going to see here over the next uh, seven days. And we'll see how close you are next Wednesday. We'll see how close you are to it. More of Harold's uh, word salad here. I'm sorry, I don't normally look at comments, but I'm so, and I hate to say it this way in a way of bored watching this game, Mike, because it's the same old game. I'm, I'm reading some comments while we're in the break waiting, and I had to laugh. And I, I know sometimes we disagree, and, uh, and sometimes he's throwing spears at us, but Harold's comment was pretty funny. He's like, watch, both Shower and McCaver, you know, what do you say? Interesting to watch the cargo pilots in the legislature, both Shower and McCaver constantly trying to put logic to their political arguments, hazards of their training. <laughs> Yeah, I know. You're trying to put, I'm sorry, you're trying to inject logic into something where that just does not fit and compute, right? I mean, that's really. It's, it's a totally valid comment. I'm like, <laughs> I don't even, I couldn't say it any better than that. It's perfect. It's like, yep, that's uh, why I use logic. This is politics. This is the upside down world, Mike. This is stranger things, um, the upside down. So, you know, what's right is wrong. What's wrong is right. I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, just. I was I made the, the mistake of reading comments because they're usually pretty good. And that was actually really funny and uh, inappropriate. Um, yeah, I don't know, Mike. I'm not I'm not trying to be. I know some people say, well, you sound like you're defeated. No, actually, I'm just tired, guys. Um, and frankly, I'm tired of watching the same games played. I'm tired of standing up for my constituents, what I believe in, and then getting slaughtered for it politically by my colleagues. Um, I'm tired of watching the state. The state elected officials refuse to enact a comprehensive plan that's so important for this state moving forward. I'm tired of fighting over the PFD, um, you know, just tired of, of the fights, Mike. And some of these people have been here for decades and want to be here for decades. And um, it's just it's kind of, you know, after a while, it just gets frustrating because you want to make a difference. That's why we're here. I've said that before in the program for Michelle and I, you know, it's like this is not a, a benefit for our family. This is it's 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 not it's you know, it's costing us a lot of time away from our kids and grandkids and our home. It's costing income. That, that's not a complaint. I mean, it's just it's a, we stepped up and volunteered to do it. So it's here. But when you do that, you want to make you want it to mean something. You want to make a difference. That's why we're here. And when we have a path forward, that would be a much better path for the state on certain issues. And they just refuse to do it because it's to their benefit to continue to have budgetary chaos, for example. Well, they, they take advantage of the chaos. They know how this works. And that's just that gets frustrating. Because you know we can do better, there's ideas to do better, and then we refuse to enact it. And it's all because of a few people when a majority of this legislative body, I think, actually does want to fix the problem. Well, that's that's frustrating because I'm watching the state suffer. And I don't mean the state like the government of the state. I mean the state in general of where we're headed fiscally, right, for our kids. I mean, what good is a great education? The people. <clears throat> the people, right? They're all going to leave, yeah. right? They're all going to go somewhere else where there's greener pastures because there's no jobs left here. Well, you know. We can't build a pipeline. We can't build a dam. We can't do this. We can't do that. We can't log our lands, you know, and then we're going to go down this path of you know, towards credits and ESG where people are going to lock it up and 
maybe some short-term gain. I get it, Mike, but the thing that concerns me about is where does it go long-term? When the ESG becomes the thing and it's the financiers and the bankers and lower 48 interests that tell us what we can and can't do, they're going to lock us up as a state park. That's what they want. They're not thinking long-term strategic implications of this country and what we need strategically to compete with China and Russia, why we need rare earth metals, why we need oil and gas that's stable, supply for the nation for security. They're not talking about Arctic strategy. They take Alaska off the table, brother. We're in big trouble. We're a stalwart in that as far as not just natural resources, but location. Nobody's even considering that or talking about it. But ESG long-term takes us there because then we're under the thumb of them who control us. So the only way to win, as far as I'm concerned, in the ESG game, Mike, is to not play. And I know not everybody agrees that, well, it's, we're headed there into a center, but don't play the damn game. Develop our resources on state lands. Maybe we become a territory again, Mike. I don't know. I had some interesting discussion with folks. Just be a territory where we own our own land again. Get the feds out of it. I mean, you know, oh, we need the Fed money. Is that not a statement telling you part of our problem? We have to have the Fed money to survive from the federal government. Right. Well, that was... their arms anyways and says you can't that... do this or that because we won't give you money. And then, OK, fine. Right. Well, that was so... Rob's, that was Rob's comments last week. You know, I mean, look at where we're at on the federal debt ceiling. Now they're trying to decide whether or not they're going to declare the debt ceiling unconstitutional. You do that. What did you just tell to every one of your bondholders across the world, every country that's invested in America where our debt is owed? If we say the debt ceiling means nothing, you've just accelerated the whole problem with, uh, you know, world reserve currency status and everything else. And as Rob said, uh, Rob Meyer said last week on the program with you, um, you know, if if the government defaults. Uh, or we lack the we lack the the confidence in our our money, and, our, and the money starts to crumble. Half of the state budget is 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 federal money. What happens then? We've created an unsustainable monster. That if that money dried up tomorrow, what would we do? We'd be a much smaller state again, <laughs> as far as population in anything. We would we'd go back to the 1960s and 70s for those that have been around a while here. Um, you know, pre-oil days, just about. I mean, because when you look at it, like, well, you know, our budget is 6.4 billion with the PFD. Listening to them talk, well, no, it's really more like 15 or 16 billion. Like you said, when you include all monies and federal money, it's massive. I mean, we talk about a paltry, right? You know, like 140 million or maybe 200 million. I forget the exact number. What the? It might even be 300 million on the capital budget this year, but it's like 2.2 billion from the feds. We're, we're paying like one to nine, right? For a federal match. And then everybody's like, oh, we got to have the federal money or we can't survive. So I go back to the, you know, no federal money. We don't survive. The feds own us. That's what it is, right? It's like paying, you know, protection money on the racket to the, the mafia boss. Oh, you don't pay your protection money. We break your arm. You know, it's like, well, you don't pay my protection money. We're not going to give you money, you know, to the federal government. And so it's a, it's a frustrating thing because that's, that's who owns us. And if you go down the ESG path, Mike, I'm telling you, they're going to own us again just like the rest of it. And the next thing you know, this state's not going to have any control over its own destiny. And that's a, a dangerous and distressing thing because um, I want our kids to stay here. And it's going to be hard to convince them to stay here if there's not jobs for them. Right. And we don't build things and we don't diversify and we don't grow our private sector economy. And I think we have some legislators here that are really confused on what that means. Then you don't have anything because without oil, even though, yes, I know there's arguments over how much we should get for them. I understand that. But without things like oil and gas and mining and logging and the things that we have and any other things we can diversify our economy with, then you don't have a private sector. And if you don't have a private sector, you don't have money. Unless you get to this magic 100 billion plus they keep talking about in the permit fund. Then we'll have all the money we need for funding government. 
God help us for trust fund babies. Well, and then, so yeah, well, and, and then, the, and then the government will be officially disconnected from the private sector. And so then it won't, they won't care what happens at the private sector because they've got all the money in the world that they want spinning off of the permanent fund. And they don't have to, they don't have to give two craps about what happens in the private sector. That's the point that Rob was making last week. Him and I have talked a lot about that is that Mike, the private sector really is what should drive us, but here in Alaska, it's not. Um, it's the public sector that drives us and it's the federal government. And it's a, it's a tough thing to get off of. How do you wean yourself off that, Mike? I don't know. I, I don't know that we can. And I, I know, I, again, I apologize, folks. I'm not trying to be gloom and doom this morning. It's just, it, it's frustrating to watch, you know, us be in a place where we have plans that could start weaning us in that direction with a comprehensive fiscal policy that could start constraining us and forcing us to have harder conversations with constituents about taxes. Um, but we're not. I mean, the, the hardest conversation we've had has been about the PFT and people were angry. And what exactly have we done to fix that? Oh, we're going to make it smaller. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is the exact wrong direction for what the people demand. They talk about, oh my gosh, they're like, you know, we've got to do something. So let's do exactly what the, the, the numbers show that people don't want us to do. People go, well, they don't listen to you. Of course, they're not listening to you. They're getting away with it. Right. They're getting right. They're, they're getting rewarded for it's rewarding bad behavior and then being surprised that it continues. The That's, numbers have hardly changed in decades. Yeah, Mike, on the PSC. We're still not doing it. So whatever. Uh, Mike, yeah. Mike Shower, our guest. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate you coming on board. Thanks for the. Oh, I look forward to next Wednesday morning. That's going to be a hoot. Oh, it'll be fun. The beatdown will continue then. Out of time. Be kind. Love one another. Live well. The Michael Duke Show. Okay. Uh, final thoughts. Mike Shower, I mean, he just kind of laid it out there. But, I mean, if you want to, I'll give you the floor for a couple more minutes. If you want to, you know. Go ahead and lay waste, name names, get cranky. I don't know, whatever you want to do. Uh, yeah, well, Mike, when I name names, then they just use that as another excuse, hold it against me in the, in the court of caucus opinion. You know, anything I say, Mike, the slightest misstep I make, and, and I think people on your program, some of them get it, some of them may not. Anything I say, the press is going to use it against me, the blogger will use it against me, the caucus members that don't want conservatives in their caucus will use it against me, the Republican Party that seems to have a really big tent that includes every Republican, regardless of whether they're left of center or real Democrat or anything else. If you're a conservative, though, that doesn't include, you know, they're not included. So the fine line we have to walk, you know, going back to that long, long serving Democrat that told me, you know, years ago, he's like, Mike, I don't know how you guys do it. He's like, you know, you can't survive. I'm like, that's why we won't have long serving um, politicians that are conservatives in the state and Republican Party because they get destroyed. The, the, our own people destroy us, right? Because, oh, well, you didn't do this and you didn't do that one thing, so you're done. But a Democrat or a, a moderate, you know, um, you know, Republican from districts can do whatever they want and they're sent back no matter what. So, boy, you're from, you know, the Kenai or the Matsu or, North, you know, there's areas of the state red. Our conservatives just destroy us. You know, the, the right um, just eats its own. And so how do you expect some of us to maneuver in this group of these people with this kind of special interest and control and to do what we need to do? It's almost impossible because if we do what our people want us to do, Mike, and not get slaughtered at home politically, then we can't maneuver here in the legislature because we have no room and they put us into a square corner, like I said. So you're, you're walking a fine line that's almost an impossible dance. And it's why we it's why we will continue to lose, I think, a big part of it because we eat our own. 
Um, we don't stick together as a group um, and uh, conservatives just continue to get crushed um, from every angle. Um, and I don't I don't know how to fix that because we just demand we'll put another person in, put another person in, vote another one, vote another one. OK, fine. But then they have no seniority and the same people that have been here for decades will keep running the show, which is exactly what you don't want. But you don't give any room to your legislators to maneuver down here without, you know, um, put making themselves basically unworkable because of the positions we have to hold to be able to stay in office back home on things like the PFD and other stuff. And it's just right. like, I don't, it's a, it's a dance that's almost unwinnable, Mike. And that's, you know, that realizes, I think that realization comes to people eventually um, and go, great, we can have a couple legislators jumping up and down. Don't do that. Don't do that. You know, from whatever. And then, and then there's just a handful of us, right? Yeah, and you keep getting overwhelmed. It's the whole rocks in the stream analogy. You know, you throw one or two rocks in the streams, and all that happens is the water flows over them, flows around them. Pretty soon it wears them down. You need to throw a whole bunch of rocks into the stream to try and divert the flow. Unfortunately, we're not putting rocks in fast enough. And those of you that are down there trying to take a stand just keep getting wore down and run over and flattened. Run over, and, you know, yeah. It's uh, run over and by everybody, including a lot of those on, the, on our side. Yeah. You know, and it's just, well, well, what do you guys want us to do? We got a majority of Republicans and we still don't control both bodies. Yeah. So. No, it's crazy stuff. All right. Well, <clears throat> keep the faith. Don't grow weary well, and well doing. We'll be better. We'll see how next week goes and we'll have a lot to report on because we will probably still be here going to the midnight hour next Wednesday night to the last session and we'll see. We'll see how we go. We'll have. We'll definitely have more to talk about, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, next week will definitely be an interesting discussion. State Senator Mike Shower, good to see you, my friend. Keep up, uh, keep up the good work. We will. We'll see you. uh, We'll see you next uh, next week. All right, folks, uh, we're coming up to it. We're getting uh, getting all done, getting out of here. Thanks for coming in and joining us. Don't forget to like and follow the show, and do all those things. To help keep us going, don't forget to check out the Common Sense Corps. If you want to be a part of the show in a bigger way, we appreciate you guys. Thank you for coming in. Common Sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll see you tomorrow. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people 
It's the Michael Duke Show.